I grew up in the peninsula. And whenever my family would come to the city, and yes, you know you're here from San Francisco and the Bay Area when you call it the city. Nowhere else does that but us. When we would come to the city, it was often to come to the theater. And I remember walking as quickly as possible from the parking garage to the theater, scared, and not wanting to slow down or stop because the tenderloin was scary. And I, I wish that I could say as an adult, I'd slowed down, which I did a bit. But generally, when I think of my times in the past decades of coming to the tenderloin, it was actually never coming to the tenderloin. It was always going through the tenderloin, quickly, in my hermetically sealed cars, gazing through the windows of that pane of glass onto the street and watching each passing year as the streets seemed to get more and more crowded. Now, it'd be disingenuous to say that I had no relationship with the Tenderloin. Our set of council had off-site meetings at Larkin Street Youth Service Headquarters to learn about the services they offered of the homeless youth of our city. But those meetings, they were inside. They were led by staff. The youth which we would meet were in the process of treatment, and they were on the inside of the building, and they were not on the street. But then one of our members, Malcolm Gisson, who has been engaged not just on the inside of buildings, but on the outside of buildings, urged and invited us to meet with Del Seymour, the man who has the unofficial title of the mayor of the Tenderloin, who founded Code Tenderloin. Dell took me as well as 20 other members of our community through the SETA Council on a tour of the Tenderloin. And it was a tour that did the opposite of what I did as a kid. The opposite of what I've done behind that pane of glass or inside the buildings. The tour was at a slow, meandering pace, storefront by storefront, block by block, engaging with the people of the Tenderloin, the people who are not on the inside of the buildings. And as we moved at our slow pace, truly seeing people, that neighborhood, it became just that, a neighborhood. And the souls of the people, they shone through because suddenly there was no glass separating us. And as Dell uncovered the layers of this neighborhood, I could not stop thinking about where we had rolled to in the Torah just that morning, this last Sunday. The same place that we sit tonight in the Torah. We sit at one of the most important moments in all of Jewish history. This week, where we are, is the philosophical foundation for Judaism. Everything that we've read prior to this point in the Torah was not yet about Judaism. We began with creation, then we moved to the flood narrative, and then the Tower of Babel, and then on Lechacha, where Abram is chosen to be the one. But he doesn't do much in Lechacha. He begins the journey. But it's not until this week that it's revealed what it actually means to be a Jew. What it actually means to be a blessing. 
The beginning of this parsha, it's nothing short of shocking. At the beginning of the parsha, in the opening line, we're told that God has appeared before Abraham at his tent. And Abraham's very first reaction to this is to put God in the waiting room. It's crazy. Why? Because he sees that there are three men without a home standing at the front of his tent. And then Rashi points out that we're told once that he saw them, the next line is repeated again. It says he sees him, and then he sees them. And it's one thing to glance outside your tent or to glance through the window of your car or from your peripheral vision as you rush down the sidewalk. It is wholly different to truly see someone. And because Abraham truly sees them, he makes God wait. And he invites the three strangers in. He feeds them. He cares for them. And only then, once their needs are met, when they've been fed and they've been filled, and they continue on their journey, does Abraham turn and give his attention back to God. The foundational idea in Judaism is that our focus should be on others. Even if God is waiting for us at the door, our care for other humans, it takes precedence. And this is not the first time that we see this in our text. The Torah, it's giving example after example of what our priorities should be. This week, we see the third example in the Torah of God's reaction to what is considered sinful human conduct. And in each example, we see the punishment based upon the sin that the humans carried out. The first sin is found in the story of Noah with the flood, where it was determined that the world it just could not continue and everyone was going to be wiped out. The second story is the Tower of Babel, where no one is destroyed, but the people are dispersed. And the third is in this week's, in Sodom and Gomorrah, where once again, the people are destroyed. Now, according to Rabbi Natan from around the ninth century, he points out definitively that the sin of the flood and Sodom is vastly different than that of the Tower of Babel. In Noah and Sodom, humans are sinning against each other. They hate each other. And because their sin is against another human being, they are wiped out. In the Tower of Babel, their sin is a much lighter offense because they're sinning against God. But they're working together as one in a collective effort. So their sin is dispersion, not destruction. This is a revolutionary philosophical religious idea that how one treats other humans, that it takes precedence over how one treats an external referent in the shape of God. Abraham is the first person in the Torah to have internalized where our priorities should be in the world, and that is why he puts God in the waiting room when there are strangers that come to his home. That's why he makes God wait as he cares for others. It's why God rewards Abraham, because Abraham is caring for other humans.
It's in this parsha where Abraham famously yells at God, arguing that God's view of the world is not as just as his own as he defends the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah and is then rewarded for yelling at God and arguing with God because it's on behalf of humans. Now Moses, he employs the same technique to defend human beings, and once again, Moses is rewarded. This right here, this week in this Parsha, is the foundational idea within Judaism. If you want to see the divine, you're not supposed to look above. You're not supposed to sit behind a pane of glass, but you're actually supposed to look the other in the eye. At the end of our tour with Del Seymour, we gathered in the center of the Tenderloin, in the neighborhood, and we ate pizza, and we debriefed about our experience. And at the end, we had extra pizza. So our set of council co-chairs, Lisa Krim and Guillemette, as well as Elise Blatt, they walked out of the park and into the streets to share our pizza with the people who lived on the streets in this neighborhood. And they were immediately surrounded by members of this community. And after everyone had grabbed a slice, a woman from the group looked them straight in the eye and thanked them and said that they had lifted the spirits of their entire community on that neighborhood, on the street. Was it the pizza? Was it the food that Abraham gave to his visitors? Maybe. But I think there's a reason that we're told that Abraham saw them and then told again that he really saw them. Food, it's just our conduit. Connecting souls to other human beings is the foundation to being the blessing that we were charged with last week. Because caring for others, seeing others, fighting for others, that is the foundation of Jewish thought. Shabbat Shalom.